0: These events, for all of us, are just the latest um, in what have been almost two years of sickness, of loss, of confusion, and if we're being honest, um, even some fear. For many of us, it's been a persistent case of this uneasiness since January 2020, as we all began to watch the first cases of COVID-19 making their way into the U.S. You know, if we're not careful, um, these moments can really suck the air out of you. It's like getting the wind knocked out of you when you were a little kid. Um, I remember you'd play football as a kid and you'd fall down on the ball or something like that. And that feeling of the air being gone from your lungs is terrifying. And it is truly a suffocating feeling. You don't really know how it happened or how you found yourself there. But you just know that you can't breathe and no amount of your friends, your parents, or your coaches standing over you and telling you to breathe is going to fix it. In situations like this, I always just wonder what to do next. Did you know that your pastors sometimes don't know what to do next? Sometimes we call each other all day on Saturday trying to figure out what our next step should be. And this isn't because we're necessarily um, scared of the circumstances that we face. But what it is is that we care very deeply about being obedient. We care very deeply about doing um, what's right for our church um, and what's right for the people that we minister to and what's appropriate and what's godly Um, but sometimes is putting it very lightly when i feel bogged down by anything in life um, i don't sometimes wonder what to do next almost always wonder what to do next so can i tell you what i'm guilty of doing during times like this i am guilty of just getting to work just keeping my mind my hands uh, my eyes keeping everything busy. I'm guilty of just trying to find something, anything to do to keep myself busy instead of really dealing with the circumstances that have come my way. It's like I convinced myself that my frantic figuring will fix anything. Fellas, we do this so much. Times get tough, the tough get going, right? That's what we've heard our whole life. Sometimes it means we start going into work earlier. We start running out to the to the workshop when we're stressed or the garage Or maybe it's one of our favorite activities, sitting in front of the TV. Whatever it is, the idea of sitting and being still, the idea of trying to have any sort of rest during these times of high stress or bad circumstances or even just moments where we realize that we're not in control lead to us trying to do a lot of things to try to gain back that control. Um, Just to keep ourselves busy. You know, I've seen this from a lot of women in my life too. My mother... Um, she absolutely hated to clean when I was growing up. We were not exactly the home that you would call neat. Um, But if something went wrong or stressed my mom out when I was a child, I can look back and realize that she would get the sudden and strong urge to clean the most random parts of our home, much to the frustration of her two sons. It would be these moments of high stress that my mother would all of a sudden decide, you know what, we really need to clean the grout in the bathroom. And we spent a weekend cleaning the grout, in the bathroom. But that's just further example that I can see in so many people's lives. When we get stressed, we tend to do the opposite of resting. As you can see on the screen behind me, it says labor, find rest in Jesus. And those are kind of opposing ideas, this idea of labor and then finding rest. But what we're going to see this morning from the book of Matthew is that exactly That is how God intended it to be. That Jesus phrased um, this beautiful passage of Scripture to us in that exact way um, for those who are dealing with labor, for how we should find ourselves resting. I spent a lot of time over the last 18 months since the first lockdowns in the U.S. uh, watching people. Um, And I've noticed you will always find people dealing with this heaviness, the stress, this burden differently. Men sitting in front of the TV or deciding that now it's the perfect time to tinker around under the hood of a truck, um, women combing the house from top to bottom, or vice versa. And I remember visiting a family a few years ago after they lost someone unexpectedly while we still lived in Louisiana, and the entire family was frantic, stressed, worried, couldn't sit still for more than a minute, Um, so burdened by what they had gone through. But the man of the family said something so powerful to me, it was something like this. He said, with all the things that we have going on over the next few days, making arrangements, making plans, we need rest, even when our hands cannot stop. I thought so that was so true, because there are moments where um, the work still has to be done. Or there are moments where we we are so frantic, we can't even allow ourselves to be still, um, even for a moment. But how do we rest in those moments, even when our hands cannot stop. Even in the moments where neither this man or his family could sit still, he still knew they needed rest. And not just a physical rest, but a rest for the soul. I think it's important for us to understand this morning, in kind of hectic circumstances, that no one knows our need for rest more than God. So if you have your Bible with you, This morning, wherever you are, um, take it out or turn on your phone, open your Bible app, whatever it is, and I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter 11. Now, to set this up a little bit before we get to our verses, um, Jesus was spending time traveling and preaching throughout different cities, and in verse 25, where we're going to begin, he begins to speak specifically um, to the people who have heard his teaching, um, yet have missed it. They have heard his messages, they've listened to him speak, um, but they have missed it. In Matthew 11, verses 25 through 26, it says this, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus is speaking directly to the higher-ups in church who have missed his teaching, while the lowly people, without the fancy education, got it. Now, they all had heard his teaching, they had all witnessed his miracles, and they had all been in his presence. But the wise and understanding of the bunch were unaffected by the gospel that they were hearing. Does that sound familiar at all? I know it does for myself, because you see these religious folks remind me a lot of myself more than I'd like to admit. As someone who um, has been working in ministry, even though I'm a young age, working in ministry quite a while, I have a seminary degree on my wall right there. I can tell you that that degree um, honestly does nothing to add to my godliness. It, it is it is a piece of paper, and it's an education I was thankful to be able to, to receive, and I'm very thankful for my time there. But if I'm relying on that education or that certificate alone to produce godliness, but yet I'm missing the teaching of Jesus, that I'm going to find myself missing a lot of the things that I need. You know, this life is hard enough, and it can be so easy to find yourself with a faith that instead of saying my faith is built completely around Jesus, we tell ourselves that our faith, or my worth, I should say, is found in my own ability to do things for God, to have accomplishments for God, to be correctly educated for God, to be busy enough For God if I'm not careful I can start to communicate that same message to all of you this morning that this life is about busyness and doing things for God out of obligation but Jesus' desire is simply this that we would come and find the rest that we need in him and him alone so our first point that we're gonna see this morning is that we ought to come to Jesus and Matthew eleven twenty seven through 28, it says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. That's such an awesome uh, statement by Jesus just before we go any further. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. He is saying right here, I am the most important and powerful thing that exists. And God has made me that way goes on to say, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. And in this beautiful, beautiful verse from scripture, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, before Jesus ever gets around to talking about rest, though, as we saw, he decides to take some time to talk about authority. In verse 27, Jesus talks about his power and where he gets it from. He said, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. What a powerful statement, right? He's saying, essentially, I have all power, and I have it because the most powerful being in existence has given all of it to me. The very source of supreme power that has ever existed, I possess, and I have all of it. After Jesus says this, he can really say whatever he wants. He has laid out his authority very clearly in advance for whatever statement will come next. He could say something like this, all things have been handed over to me, so make me your king and build statues and monuments and glory in my honor. But he didn't say that. With an endless possibility of possible next statements, all-powerful God looks at the crowd and he speaks directly to those who are downcast. And he speaks directly to those who are overwhelmed. And he speaks directly to those who are saddened, those who labor and are heavy laden. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. He doesn't say he will give you rest in exchange for anything. The agreement is simply this. You come to me and I give you rest. What a beautiful thing just to stop for a moment and remember this morning. The most powerful being in existence. God not only died for you on the cross which is amazing and we glance over the gospel just the the purity of the gospel so much in our life but not only that he that he did that but that he also looks at you um, in your lowest moments when you're heavy laden when you labor when you're working and toiling so much when you're downcast because of life whatever circumstances that are not going your way but you are facing in life he looks at you in those moments and he says hey come to me and you will find rest with me in the moments of your greatest need he seeks to meet it right there asking nothing in return you know my grandparents loved and still love teaching moments they still teach me so many lessons um, the times i get to speak to them which aren't admittedly are not often enough i'm sure many of y'all have the same experiences Anytime my whole family would be um, around as a child, my papa would sit in his recliner in the living room. It was the, it was the middle of the living room, right in front of the TV, I should say. But it was there, in the middle of the living room. And what I found so funny is that the whole family, young to old, no matter how big or how small, one by one, would inevitably end up sitting around him. The adults on the couches and chairs and the kids on the floor, of course. I don't know if that was anyone else's upbringing, but I spent a lot of time sitting on the floor around my Papaw's feet. I remember one time when I was really young, he might not even remember this story. Papaw, if you're listening, love you. He asked me how my schoolwork had been. Now, this was a hard conversation when I was a kid, uh, because when they asked how my schoolwork had been, what they were asking is, what do my grades look like? And my grades in any of my academic subjects um, were not bad. I was a fairly good student. but I was immediately embarrassed in this moment in front of my cousins and aunts and uncles and my parents and everyone there. And I could almost feel my mom just kind of giving like this look like, mm. like she knew, like she just knew immediately. Because my parents had known that I had just gotten a bad grade in conduct. And I was sure in this moment that they had told him. Ironic, right? The student pastor had a bad grade in conduct as a kid. Um, I told him the truth that I was having a hard time with my math class, and then I tried to like slip in there, and I was also having a hard time raising my hand before talking. You know, that was my biggest issue. Teachers would tell me how much they loved me and how I was one of their favorites, but it would always follow by them telling me how I had an abnormally short distance uh, between my thoughts and my speech. My hand just could not keep up. The words would come out of my mouth before I could get my hand raised fast enough. Um, so I had an issue. They would tell me how much they loved me, but that didn't stop them. We had the stoplight in our room with like green is good conduct. Your warnings were yellow, but if you were being bad, they would take that little clothespin pin with your name on it and put it on the red stoplight. They'd tell me how much they loved me and how I was one of their favorites, but they never, <laughs> that never stopped them from putting my name on red. So I knew this, and I'm scared. I'm scared with my papa kind of, in my mind, calling me out in front of everyone. I thought, oh no, Here comes my second spanking for this whole time, for this whole thing. Now, okay, you know, disclaimer, this was the 1990s, and yes, I was spanked quite a few times. Um, But instead, he invited me up on his lap, and he said he knew how hard it can be for me to raise my hand because I get so excited to talk in class. And in one of the most tender moments that I've ever had with my grandfather, I sat in his lap, and we talked about how I could learn to not make the same mistakes again. He acknowledged my struggle. He did not demean it. He did not talk down to me. And he guided me through it. Papa, if you're watching this, I love that memory and I love you very much. But that reminds me a lot of this this from Jesus, this offer um, from Jesus. Because this life is hard. Some of us are facing real troubles here today. Some of you may have recently lost someone. You're wondering how you're going to make it without them. Or it might be troubles in your relationships or it could be a bad diagnosis. Students, it might be that the class that, you're all, that you just started a few weeks ago, you feel like you're already drowning in. You're running around like crazy because every time you try to take a break, you are overwhelmed and you are burdened. And we need to be people who seek out rest in the middle of all the troubles that we face, not just waiting for our troubles to go away before we rest. Jesus comes to us and he does not say that our troubles do not exist. He does not demean our situations or make us feel like our burdens are insignificant. He does not say, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will tell you what's wrong with your labor and heavy ladenness, and then I will let you rest. He doesn't do that. He doesn't tell you that your burdens are insignificant. He simply tells us to come to him instead of anything else. We come to Jesus because there is true rest and life with him. We find true rest, rest for our souls in Jesus. So after we come to Jesus, um, what do we do once we get there? Well, thankfully Jesus tells us, and that is this. We come to Jesus and then we walk with Jesus. Verses 29 through 30 of Matthew 11 say this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now before we continue, I just have to confess something to y'all. I'm from Chatham, Louisiana, a little one stoplight town in the middle of nowhere, so you are not allowed um, to hold this against me. But I was far too old when I realized for the first time what a yoke truly is. Maybe it's because my Jackson Parish pronunciation says the words yoke and yoke the exact same way. I don't know if anyone else heard that this way this morning, but I never understood as a kid what eggs from Jesus had to do with resting at all. Always thought he was saying, come to me and I will give you eggs. My egg yolk is easy. But that's not what it is, so... Maybe, if you're like I was you know, that many years ago, maybe I'll, I'll educate you this morning on what a yoke truly is. A yoke was basically an instrument that was used to make bearing a load easier. In agriculture, a yoke would have been used mainly to hook two oxen um, or donkeys together. It would go over both of their shoulders and it would put them side by side, right, so that they could walk together. Essentially, it doubled your horsepower or like oxen power, I should say. It was kind of shaped like a handlebar mustache, and you would just put it over their shoulders. It would harness them together, and it meant that when they would walk, they would be in step with each other, right? That when one would take a step, the other would go alongside them. And when two people are walking together for a common mission, um, it makes you much more efficient, it makes you stronger. So that's what a yoke would be used. It was, a, it was essentially an instrument used in agriculture. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, in talking about rest, uses an instrument of agriculture and labor as his illustration? And this is absolutely intentional by Jesus. When we think of rest, we think of not doing anything. When we think of rest, we think of stopping. And that might be why we struggle so much with the idea of resting, because we feel as if it's wasted time. Sometimes rest literally is not doing anything. Sometimes, I would, I would say oftentimes, a lot of us need to get better about sitting in stillness with God, putting everything down, turning off the devices, stopping everything that we're doing, and we're running ourselves ragged with all these plans and commitments. Sometimes we need to sit, and we need to be still, and we need to allow our bodies to recover physically, but we also need to allow the Lord to speak to us in those still and quiet moments. Sometimes we can all, I would say, oftentimes we could all benefit from being still a little bit more. But this rest that Jesus is describing is not the absence of action. It's not the absence of doing anything. Jesus describes this rest as walking and working alongside him. By walking with Jesus, we see that he is much more concerned with the direction that you are heading than the things that you can do. Don't work yourself to death alone walk and work with Jesus isn't it funny how when you are going the correct way and doing the correct thing the work seems so much easier when you're doing things right it's easier to do it and Jesus is saying hey you are you are meant to be walking alongside me take my yoke upon you he's saying like here come take my hand walk step for step with me walk alongside me this is where you're supposed to be and this life and these things that you face will be easier when you're walking how you were designed to. You know, when I was in high school, my first job was baling hay. Um, I say a job, we would do it uh, during the summers here and there. We basically had like the, the week where the hay was finally dried and needed to be baled. So we would do that um, three or four summers when I was in high school. But it was always the worst. It was the worst week of the year. Um, it was right in the middle of the summer so it had plenty of time to dry out and we had to wear long sleeves in the middle of Louisiana heat in summer. And if you're wondering why, it's because hay is like needles. And when you got a bunch of little needle holes all in your arm and then you start to sweat, it is awful. It would burn. It would burn. It was miserable. So we had this baler that would be pulled behind the tractor and it would scoop up the hay and I don't know what it did in there, but it would compress it into these tight little rectangle bales and it would tie the little ribbon on there. I don't I don't know how this thing worked, but it was pretty fascinating. But it would drop these like 50 pound square bales of hay on the ground behind it that were compressed together. And my job was to walk behind the baler and we would pick up these bales and load them in the work truck and the trailer that was following behind. One day we were short-handed, So one guy was going to drive the tractor and pull the baler while the rest of us finished stacking the bales in the barn from the previous load. He was trying to get a head start on the next thing because we were running behind. Well, when we got done, we'd come back out and we were going to get back to our normal job of walking behind him. Well, I'm sure he did his best to keep the tractor as straight as possible in the lanes. And he did a whole hundred yard lane of hay before going to turn around. And when he did, he found that the hay wasn't tying up correctly. We would go to pick up a bale and it would just fall apart. Um, So essentially the baler hadn't been loaded with twine correctly. So by the time we got it loaded and spooled right and did everything, he spent the next hundred yards doing a lane over again. But this time he was doing it like this. He was looking behind himself, trying to make sure that the bales weren't disintegrating the moment that they hit the ground, that they were remaining tight. So he did that for an entire lane of this field. And when he got to the end and he turned around, he had gone three lanes over. He was way away from where he was supposed to finish. So why did he struggle to stay in a a straight line? Well, it's awfully hard to drive a tractor anyways um, in normal circumstances, but it's even more difficult when your eyes are faced the wrong direction. You see, the right direction and the right methods really do make all the difference. Jesus did not say that there would never be any burden. He did not say, come to me for rest and you will never work again. You will never labor again. You will never feel heavy laden again. He did not say that these circumstances won't come that way. But what he does say to us is that we have an opportunity to walk in a lighter burden. Our troubles do exist. This life is burdensome. But in walking with Jesus, we get to walk in the direction that we were designed to walk with, with the person who was designed to guide us. There we find incredible rest by being with Jesus. We find rest with Jesus by walking hand in hand with him, set on the correct path. Instead of having our eyes focused only on the things that overwhelm and burden us, we fix our gaze on the one who meets us in our troubles and guides us through them. So rest for your soul according to Jesus has much more to do with how you walk and who you walk with than whether or not you're walking. This rest that Jesus talks about, this rest for your soul, i want to read it correctly how he says it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Walk with me and learn from the things that I'm doing. He gives you two actions there. Take my yoke upon you. Take this instrument of agriculture. Bind yourself to me and learn from me. So in doing these two actions, you find rest. So rest for us this morning with all these circumstances that come our way is not just about stopping doing everything. It's not just throwing your hands in the air and saying, I quit, I need to rest. The source of your rest, the real source of your real rest is Jesus. Some of us today are exhausted physically and mentally. You don't remember the last time you had more than five hours of sleep in a night, or you don't remember the last time you had a week that resembled anything normal. But like we all know, the work doesn't stop. Responsibilities don't go away. Then weeks like this one throw that one last back-breaking wrench into our lives. But you need to know this morning that God sees your burdens. He knows them deeply, and He desires for you to find rest in Him by coming to Him and walking with Him.